We've been working on a, uh, started a verse-by-verse study of First Thessalonians, looking at dynamic ministry, and we're going to go in a little more detail in the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 4 this morning, as we get introduced to this dynamic young church. Um, I'm going to ask you if you'll open your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, that letter. And when you find the first couple of verses of chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as I read from the Scripture. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your love prompted, labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for choosing, handpicking, showing your love in a very definite, clear way. Father, I pray this morning that that love would be evident to each one here. And who knows, maybe for the first time a person will understand I'm handpicked and bow in prayer and receive that gift, that calling that choosing of the Lord to heart. And so, Father, we ask that You might work. Um, Holy Spirit, we invite You here, for it's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in Your anointing. And Lord, if Your anointing is not present, then nothing else will happen of significance than just a gathering. So, Father, do Your work. Thank You for allowing us to worship You thus far. Speak to us, Master. In Your name we pray. Amen. Someone said that the church is not a museum for sinners, but a hospital for saints. And it seems like the longer I am around, the more I am reminded of this clear fact Guys, that we need a Savior. It seems like I just can't get away from that simple truth that we're all like wounded kids that need a parent who is going to fully, completely, totally love us knowing what we're really like. I had shared this morning my favorite definition of success, which is from John Maxwell that says, Success is when the people who know you best respect you most. God knows you best. And He has given His very life to you. Of course there's no perfect churches out there because we're all messed up. And the old saying, you've heard it a lot, but it's true, you know, if you find the perfect church, don't join it or you'll mess it up. And there's certainly truth to that. And we all are filled and riddled with excuses 
why we can't serve God or, or why we fall short. And we're a mess, but we're not supposed to live in those excuses. Some uh, witty pastor did a comparison between sporting events and church. And so he wrote this thing on why I'll never attend a sporting event again. Here's what he wrote. Every time I go, they ask me for money. People with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats are too hard. And the coach never came to visit me personally. The referee made a decision with which I could not agree. Some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. The band played some numbers that I had never heard before. Some of those games are scheduled when I want to do other things. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches anyway. And the last one, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Excuses. It's easy for us to beat each other down. It's easy for us to lose sight of focus. But here is an example of a young church that's a year old approximately that is in tune with the Lord, that's on fire for the Lord. And I just want to look at their example to see how we can learn. Notice he says to them, uh, as he opens to them, he says, grace and peace to you. Always starts with grace, guys. Before you can know God's peace, you have to experience His grace. And as he speaks to them, he says, grace and peace to you. I want you guys to know the fullness of His grace that you might experience the fullness of His peace. Grace and peace to you. And then he says, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. What you notice is first thing here about this dynamic church, which is very important for God's people. Guys, they knew that they were prayed for. You see, as, as Paul's thinking about these Christians, he comes from a background where the only way you could be right with God was to be born into a certain family. You had to be a Jew. You had to be part of this particular group. And if you weren't born into that group, then you were just out of luck because that was God's chosen people. And that was his typical mindset. But God got a hold of him. He met Jesus on the road. He was blinded. He was put down on his face. And he changed. And then he saw people differently. And he understood that everyone that had that experience where they humbled themselves before God and received His gift of Jesus Christ, that that was family. And that it was a change. And that he, he had to be connected to them. He had to be a part of their lives. And so God got a hold of Paul. And, and he began to love those people. And, and, and churches were started. And he was connected to them. And he said, guys, I want you to know I care about you. And I want you to know I'm praying for you, that you can count on me to pray, to be thankful. And man, we do definitely need to be thankful for one another. It's easy to pick each other apart 
If you want to find something bad, you can find it in just a couple of minutes. Okay, I mean, that's just the reality. But God wants us not to do that, but to build each other up. I encourage you to make that a practice. Even before you leave here today, think about somebody that's a blessing to you, part of the Kingsway family. Tell them as you leave today, just briefly, I'm grateful for you, how God's using you. Just make it known to them. Let them, let them know. Because we can sure tear each other down. I, uh, one church that I was the pastor of served in in my hometown, we had a minister's meeting on Mondays where the guys had come together. There were 58 Southern Baptist churches in that geographic area uh, in the association. And I don't know, there's probably about 15 pastors that would meet on Monday mornings to pray and take turns, you know, just kind of spitting out, you know, everybody have to listen and nod their head and all that. Well, after a while, there began this, this interesting guy showed up. And we called him the encourager. He thought he was the prophet of God. You know what he did? This nut... He went to, his goal was to go to every one of those 58 churches to sit in the church on a Sunday morning and to critique every church and to write a letter explaining everything he found wrong in the church. And so, you know, we would come on Monday mornings and we'd all take our turn. Did you get the letter this week? Man, let's hear what's wrong with your church, you know, kind of kidding. And, and people share, well, our church got the letter. And I can't even, be honest with you, I can't even remember what the letter said. But that's not God. God. God doesn't call any of us to be a prophet of criticism. I don't believe that. If, you, if there's a time to correct somebody, you do that in private. You don't do it publicly. You don't get before a whole group of people and tear others down. That's something you do in prayer and that's something... You do with somebody privately and you do in love. You don't do it publicly. And Paul, he, he had times where he, he addresses some issues in the letter. But he doesn't start there. He starts out by saying, guys, I am grateful for you and I am thankful for you. Let's not wait till a funeral to do that. I mean, man, you go to a funeral and you hear all these great things about people that you didn't hear before. Let's not do that. General Patton, uh, one of the most well-known generals of World War II, said in 35 years of serving as a general, he only had one soldier come to him and say, thank you. Man, that should not mark the people of God, should it? We shouldn't be marked by, no one ever notices me. God, give me a, give me a heart, give me eyes and, and ears and help me to see people that I can be thankful toward them and let them know. Paul was a guy that prayed for the believers and he's called us there. Uh, Ezekiel 22.30 God says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the people so I would not have to destroy them. He says, but I found none. Guys, we're called to be gappers. To be in the gap. And to be people of prayer. And Paul, was that was his encouragement in that young church. Guys, pray. Turn me to uh, 1 Timothy. 
in chapter 2, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is just over from uh, the second second letter to the church at Thessalonica. In the first couple of verses, he talks, he he encourages them to pray. I want you to notice some uh, reasons here from the scripture where prayer is so pivotal. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Now, I'll stop there just a minute. You know, that's a pretty inclusive word, everyone. That means there's nobody who doesn't need prayer. There's nobody that reaches such a pinnacle that no longer do they need someone on their behalf to be praying. Man, we all need it. We all need prayers. It was so funny. I heard a pastor on the radio the other day, and he was talking about a good friend of his who's a very busy businessman. And um, he said he he found his appointment book. And it was Skip Heidsick from uh, Erdem. He he does a radio show. And he was talking about he found this appointment book, and Skip said that uh, what he would do, he said uh, eh, about once a week down through there, he'd, he'd write in there in that appointment book, pray for Skip. Remember, Skip needs your prayers. Skip's struggling. Pray for him. Don't forget Skip. And he, you know, he did that over and over and over. He's kind of joking about it. He said, but I really do need the prayers. Pray for everyone. Notice he says, for kings and all those in authority, we need to pray for those in authority. Those leaders that God's placed above us. And I thought it was interesting here. Notice what he says here, that they may live peaceful and quiet lives in all, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Pray that God, and boy, we need to be doing that, don't we? That God gets a hold of the leadership, those who are in authority, and He grabs a hold of their hearts. And that they see as God sees. Man, wouldn't that make everything so much better? And so we need to be praying for those in leadership position. Even if we don't agree with them or don't like them, we're called to pray for them. That God gets hold of their hearts, guys. He says, this is good. Pleases God our Savior. And, and notice this phrase, so important. He says, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. No, everybody matters. He wants everybody to know His love. And, and He calls us to, to stand in the gap, to be gappers. That was this young church. They were a group of gappers. And we're to be a group of gappers standing in that gap in prayer that all people might be changed for the glory of God and know His love and, and know His heart. And, and that was His, that was His prayer. That was, that was a passion for Paul. And it's kind of neat because we talk about being able to travel all over the world and, and we can do that in prayer. All over the world. Pray for people who are faithful to God. It doesn't matter how many miles away they are. we got the direct line to travel on their behalf for them. Uh, this is from Colossians 4.12. It talks about a guy we don't read a whole lot of, about in the Scriptures, but his name's Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer with you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. That's God's calling for all of us to pray. 
Uh, secondly, as you go back to meeting this young church, we find out in the Scriptures they were handpicked by God. Notice there in verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. My, you know, I wasn't adopted. My parents didn't pick me. They were stuck with me. Sorry. This is what you got. You got to live with it. But God handpicked you. You bowed your heart to God because He picked you. You heard His voice, but He called. Man, what a thought. Have you ever been the kid chosen last? What a bummed out feeling. But God said, now I want him on my team. I want him part of my family. I want her to be near me. Man, what a, what a thought. And he said to them, guys, don't forget, you were handpicked, you were hand chosen. God loved you so much that he wanted you near him. He picked you. Charles Spurgeon said, It's a good thing God chose me before I was born because He never would have after I was born once He knew me. And you know, it is funny. We kind of laugh about that. But you know what? He did because He knew. He knew you before you knew you. And He chose you. Now, it's hard to understand this stuff. You know, you get into that and I've, I've determined that we all have the mind of a peanut and smaller than that when it comes to eternity. When you start trying to figure out this thing of, I have a choice... But God is the one who chooses. I can make a decision, but He's the one who's decided it all. I don't claim to understand all that. But what I can tell you is that we can trust Him. It's kind of like somebody who's out in the water and they're drowning and somebody throws a rope to them for safety. Well, they have to grab the rope and hold on. But on the other end, somebody had to throw out the rope and somebody has to pull them into land. So it works together. Somebody had to throw out the rope and has to pull them to shore, but the person has to grab the rope. God throws out. He threw out the rope through Calvary, but we have to, we have to grab it by faith. Man, it works together. Or another analogy, let's say that you're ready to, you have this vision, you're ready to go up to heaven and there's a sign on the door and it says, whosoever will come. And so you open the door and you immediately the door shuts behind you and you look and there's this table and there's a, a, a name, a placard there with your name on it. And you're like, man, how did anyone know I was coming? I'm the one that chose to open the door. How, how, did, they, how did anyone know I was going to enter this room? And then you look behind you at the other side of the door and it says chosen by God. I don't fully understand. I don't fully comprehend. But I don't have to. You don't have to fully grasp it to get it. You just have to come by faith and understand that His love is 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 true and, and, and that it's real and that it's there. He said that word know in verse 4. It says, for we know. That word know uh, means proven by the choices that are daily made. So so Paul is saying here to these, these people, these brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, guys, we know that your brother's loved by God. We know that your brothers that are chosen by God. 
because of the way you've responded. Notice he goes on in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with a deep conviction. You know how He lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. It's a type of knowledge that comes by daily conduct that proves something happened. In other words, he's saying, this became more than words in your life. This became your daily walk. This became the evidence that marked your life. Guys, we were able to look at you and to know that you're the real deal, that God touched you and He changed you. It's not just a bunch of talk. It's real. This, this was the church. It was more than just a place to meet. It was a people that had been conformed to God's image as He was able to work in their lives. Notice that wonderful verse in verse 3 that describes them in 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's faith, love, and hope there. I couldn't help but think of the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, it ends, it says, And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And of course, that's not talking about love we're able to show. It's talking about God's love shown to us. But all three of these are mentioned in this verse. He starts out here as he talks about this church. He says, a work produced by faith. He says, guys, before anything else can occur, you must reach out and receive the gift God offers you. A gift of forgiveness, a gift of life. You have to reach out and receive that gift. It starts there. The Christian life does not continue until you receive His life. It has to begin there. It has to start. Don't talk to me about knowing the Lord until you trust Him, until you come by faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. So he says, a work produced by faith, labor prompted by love. Um, he starts here as he talks about this work produced by faith. Man, if you believe it, you're going to do it. Uh, just a couple of verses that support this. First John chapter 1, 5 through 7. It says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Basically says, guys, you can't fool God. You can't live a lie and be in truth. And then in James chapter 2 Verse 14, he starts, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
Guys, we shouldn't have to hire a private investigator to determine whether or not you know Jesus. We shouldn't have to call out a special unit to look for evidence. It should just, like I used to love to say, you should just leak Jesus and I should just leak Jesus because we're filled with Him. That's what He wants. Listen to this quote from William Henson. I read this, I thought, man... He says, I get so tired of people who only want to talk about being fed. I think sometimes they've taken the cross off the altar and replaced it with a feed trough. I want to say to them sometimes, don't you want to just take off the bib and put on the apron and wash some feet? Man. Don't blame somebody else for your poor walk with God. Don't talk about, well, the preacher doesn't want to... Speak from the Scriptures. and Nobody wants to love me. Nobody wants to take care. Hey man, don't always look out. you got to look in. You don't always have to be fed. You have to get in the Word and feed yourself. And that comes by faith that acts. Starts there. And then it's prompted by love is the second thing here. And the word means toil to the point of exhaustion. It's like an example I read this week of a, of a young mom who had two small children and made the tragic discovery that she had terminal cancer. So she went to a doctor to get a medical opinion of how bad it was. The doctor said, well, you only have two years left. He said, my recommendation to you is to fully enjoy those two years. To just... Live it up and enjoy it. You can't survive it, so I think what you need to do is just enjoy it. She wanted a second opinion, so she went to another doctor. He said, well, I think that with treatment, you can make it at least three, maybe even four years. But I'm not going to lie to you. It's high-powered drugs. You'll be sick a lot. There's a lot of pain and discomfort. But you'll live longer. And she really battled with that. Because, uh, you know, like me, she's probably allergic to pain. But as she battled with that, she came to a conclusion that she wanted to go through the treatments. And here's, here's a letter that she wrote um, to her kids because she knew it would mean a lot to them one day. I have chosen to survive for you. This has some horrible costs, including pain, loss of my good humor, and moods that I will not be able to control. But I must try this. If only the outside chance that I might live one minute longer, and that minute could be the one minute that you might need me when no one else would do. And for this, I intend to labor with all my strength. That's love. That's the love Paul is talking about in this young church. That's the love he wishes for his church. And guys, that's the love that any any overseer, any pastor, any people who walk with the Lord want for his people. 
that that kind of love might be evident. To be willing to suffer so that I can be there when you need me. And uh, that was the message. And, and then thirdly, it speaks of hope or an endurance that comes from hope. Um, Notice he says here, endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's an endurance that comes from knowing that no matter what happens, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus and that we always have the trump card that heaven's ours. Heaven's ours. Heaven waits for us. That's, that's, that's the trump card. That's the victory. But it comes only to those who come God's way. There's a lot of people that say, well, you know, God's loving. He's opened the door. Everybody, you all just come on in. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's not a lot of ways to get there. There's one way. Through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who was without sin. Fully man, fully God. He's the only one who died on the cross and became the spotless, sinless Lamb of God that paid the price. He's the only one that you can ask to forgive you and He will. He's the only one you can ask to live in you and live through you and He will. He is the only one who is the real, full hope. He's the one that makes all this happen, makes all this possible. And yeah, there's some doubt that can be connected to that because it's by faith. And we can say, I have to know 100% sure. I hate it when I hear evangelists say, if you're 99% sure, you're 100% lost. Oh, come on. It wouldn't be faith if I didn't have any kind of doubt or struggle. But what, what's good about it is, it's not about my doubt. It's about the fact I can place my confidence in Him. See? Uh, stories told of H.A. Ironside preacher of Moody Church years ago and he went to see an elderly man who was dying and who was struggling with his faith and this guy said I want to know completely a hundred percent that I can know God has saved me and that I can rest in his confidence and have no doubts and he said if I can't totally know that then I don't want to seek him at all And so Ironside, preacher Ironside, said, well, if an angel appeared to you and said, you're saved, you can rest, would that be enough? And he said, yeah, that'd be enough. So preacher Ironside went on, he said, well, let's suppose that you're on your deathbed, you're about to enter eternity, and that angel says, uh, By the way, I'm the devil, and I have tricked you, and you've placed your faith in the wrong place. He said, how'd that feel? You know, you don't think about that, do you? He said, oh, you little angel. You guys ever thought about the fact the devil's an angel too? The most glorious of angels? Just because you're a little angel don't mean it's a good angel. might be a bad angel. (laughs) The message is not on how supernatural, how spectacular... The messenger who appears is, but how trustworthy the promise is. Uh, listen, this is First John, chapter five. Wonderful uh, scripture that I want to close with.
as we draw to a charge, an invitation. Starting at verse 11. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Guys, I'm not knocking any kind of supernatural experience because God can do that, anything He wants to do. All I'm trying to make the point is if you don't have that supernatural experience, it doesn't mean that He hasn't changed you. Because our basis of hope is, is not on some kind of personal counter we can't explain. It's on the fact that we can trust Him. And we can trust His Word. And, he, and of course, it's a part of that. We can trust His Son. He who has the Son has life. Do you have Jesus in your heart? Let's pray. God, as we come before You, we are brought face to face with the truth. Lord, the church is not a building. It is not a schedule of religious things. The church is made up of people who have understood their sin and met the Savior, who have been changed and who have a heart to see change. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that Your Holy Spirit tug at our hearts to come to the altar to pray, if You so call us, to come to the front to to make public what You are doing personally in, in the heart. And Father, that uh, You might just be pleased and glorified. Because this is a time to respond to You, God. So Lord, um, have Your way. Have Your way this morning that You might be glorified. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.